This podcast is brought to you by NewFarmSupply.com. If you're a lunatic farmer just like me, check out NewFarmSupply.com. They have the best plants, tools, and seed for regenerative agrarians. Use discount code SAMPLE and receive 20% off any purchase you make. This podcast is also brought to you by Profitable Urban Farming. Learn how Curtis Stone makes 70 grand a year off a third of an acre. Click on the link in the show notes and receive $100 off the purchase of the course. Thank you guys so much, and thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm going to ask you about your your permaculture um, advances. You know, you've, you've yeah. got a lot of stuff going there. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Well, initially, we we did want to talk about automation and money. That was the original plan on December 15th. <laughs> the last time we <laughs> we'll were talk a little bit about that, too. We will. Yeah. I, um, so, everybody, welcome to an ep- another episode of Two Beers with Charles. I, I'm not drinking beer tonight, though. Are you drinking beer, Charles? No. In fact, uh, because I've been recovering from this chest cold, um, I'm drinking um, homemade mint tea with, with uh, just crushed mint leaves from my garden. Nice. I'm drinking and, homemade cider. All right. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's been three months. We try to do this once a month and you were you were out of town. You had family in town. I was I was busy, man. It's uh it's been an interesting few months, man. I feel like when you try to take life by the horns, a lot can change in three months. Yeah, we were only um, six hundred miles apart when you were in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty. That was a pretty awesome experience, man. I went to uh, Permaculture Voices and I networked with a bunch of cool people. I have all these podcasts I still need to put out that. I had a recording, Charles, and it was kind of this weird thing. You know, I've, I've been good at networking for a while, and I've really, I think, I, I don't know, I just, I, I really like making people feel comfortable. I really like asking people about them and listening, and, you know, people like that. And so, and, and it was cool. Like, I, I did one podcast, and then another dude walked in, and the guy who I recorded with said, oh, you should record with this guy. And this guy, Neil Spackman, was screening the desert in Saudi Arabia and just doing some really cool stuff, man. It's been a been a wild journey, Charles. Yeah, well, how would you summarize um, what you've learned about permaculture? But and then as a as a side note, maybe I at some point I want you to tell me about the uh, microbreweries you visited in <laughs> in San Diego because. Um, I, I love a lot of their beers, and I, I haven't been down there to the to the actual breweries, but I I buy it. Uh, I, I love a lot of um, uh, San Diego uh, brands like Green Flash, and I really liked Skirpin, man. I, we didn't or Sculpin, and we didn't even go there. the The one that makes Sculpin, we went to one of we went to a Satellite Stone, which I didn't realize Stone is now so big that because Arrogant Bastard is such like a strong brewer. Or beer for them that they're just creating it in their own arrogant bastard brewery. Oh wow! And um, so I went to Stone, and I'm used to living a certain way, Charles, like in Ohio here, where things are cheap and I can live very well. And man, I was going broke fast at seven dollars a beer. I was like, man, it's usually <laughs> five dollars for a good beer from a brewery that makes their own brewery. 
and uh, so er, their own beer. So that was good. So, but then the permaculture thing, it was it was interesting. It was um, things were going full circle. It was like I, uh, you know, I kind of started on this journey about a year ago. Um, it was actually exactly a year ago because it was two days after my birthday. Uh, I had dinner with my friend Joel, and Joel was talking about hey. Because I I'd wanted to do what I was doing at my house and and you know everybody knows the story like I met with Joel and then we we did to the, we went to this thing but then it was like man like you know I'm now I'm here in San Diego I've had a lot of these dudes on my podcast these guys are all excited to meet me or they weren't excited to meet me but when I told them who I was they were like oh hey man it's super cool to meet you and I was like man I'm thinking the same thing. And it was, I guess, like what I got most out of it, because I'd already learned a lot of stuff, but what I got most out of it was, is that I can't doubt myself, you know? Like, I'm no different than these guys. They're just doing shit. And it's like, I need to up my level of stuff that I'm doing, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, well, it does, because I'm like that too. Like, uh, whenever I meet some other, like, uh, blogger, you know, with a big audience and, and uh, best-selling books like um, Jim Kunstler. And, um, you know, and he says nice things about my blog or something. I'm like, holy, whoa, it's amazing. You know, like, you're, you're the man, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's good to have mutual respect for, um, for everybody that's doing their part, you know. Yeah, I, I just think it's, um, it's interesting. Like, it's interesting to think that, you know, I mean, I, I think – my podcast really started going in a different direction after the first time I had you on. And now, you know, here we are, we, we've started this Facebook group that, uh, we both kind of neglect, (laughs) 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 but like we have gotten cool people like, uh, like, uh, I'll give a shout out to Fred. Cause I talked to the guy, the expat that's living in Brazil and it's like, he ended up being from Ohio and he was like one of the first guys that, commented and him and i went back and forth and then i was like man i like this dude like we had uh and and he's and we're gonna meet up when it comes to youngstown and it's um but it's 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 just it's it's interesting like it's it's cool to see that you can do something and have a conversation about something and put it out there and then other people it resonates with other people and they're on the same page with you and it's like you're i feel like i'm i'm puncturing holes in the matrix constantly because i'm and all i'm doing is 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 doing the things that i want to do for myself like i i I went out to san diego because i i knew the guys that are doing already doing what i want to do and doing it well we're going to be there and it's like well yeah i'm going to spend the money like i probably spent you know a couple thousand dollars total with tickets expenses living the way i like to live out there and experiencing it and um but it was worth it i mean it's it was worth it to 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 get to know these people to see that you know they're just normal people and they really am excited for me because of the stage that i'm in and it was really affirming to see hey you're you're doing the things that we're telling you to do and it's awesome and then um so permaculture why it it was interesting when i was out there you know because i got this public lot that i I'm really, it's like a, it's like an eyesore to me because I, I just went by it the other day because the season's coming back and I'm like looking and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Somebody threw their yard waste here. Awesome. That's the only thing I wanted. And then I found some trash too. And other people threw like some cinder blocks and other stuff. And I'm like, well, whatever I can, I can do something with this. 
But I, I kind of decided I, I now kind of have more of a direction. I met this guy, um, Grant Schultz, and he's like a he's in the heart of Iowa, and he's going against Monsanto, Monsanto crops, and he's doing permaculture stuff, and he is on 145 acres. He was living in a FEMA trailer, pooping in a bucket, composting his own waste, and like just like really doing it like to an extreme, and he's like making it happen. And he's got this uh, site, newfarmsupply.com. And so I got like a little affiliate. So anybody, if you want to look at tree starts or anything and get a really good discount, you get 20% with code name sample, but or code words, discount code sample. But now it's like, man, now I got access to all these trees. Like I've been wanting to like do stuff with trees. But when you go to like some place, it's like 50 bucks a tree and something like that. So now I have this, this access and now I know the guy that owns it. And so he can help me and tell me, give me some ideas of what to do. And um, so networking, it was just amazing. Like the whole trip, what I really learned more was how good I was at networking in a sense. And, and I'm not trying to say that to pat myself on the back, but I'm really saying it like, and you know what, man, you, you got to acknowledge, like give yourself some respect sort of deal. And then um, and then I, I, I think I learned a lot about the the aquifer systems. And it was some stuff that I'd already thought about. And then I kind of dove deeper just with the draining aquifer systems that we have in the United States. A lot to do to big ag, but um, overall, man, it, it was an awesome experience. I learned that, you know, if you want to do something, just get after it and do it and be ready to make mistakes. I think that was the biggest takeaway that I had was that you should expect to make mistakes. I mean, like uh, an example, one of the reasons we were starting this about 15 minutes late, and part of the reason was because of technical difficulties, but another part of the reason is because usually I try to like get this up and running like 15 minutes before we record. But I got home and I got like my my um, my starts going in my basement, so I you know I water my my peppers and my lettuce, and I and I'm gonna and I have all these seeds and I'm gonna start down there. Like I've put a lot of money into infrastructure recently, like which is like industrial grade restaurant shelving units and some lights to to get starts going. And I just bought a um, a hoop house to put on the blacktop in my backyard. And, um, and like, so then I have my vermicompost going in my basement and I go to check on my worms. Cause the last time, the last time I tried it, I failed miserably because I just kind of neglected them and I didn't really know what I was doing and, uh, made some mistakes, killed some worms. And, uh, so anyway, so I go down there and I lift up the one bin cause I have these pin stacks and I just see ants everywhere. And I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> So then I have like this whole bag of diatomaceous earth and I just spread the earth all over the ants. And so, I mean, it's, it's to me, it's like, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you got to be ready to make mistakes. And, you know, I'm, I'm making mistakes every day, but every day it's like, oh, let's celebrate this as a learning experience. You know, let's, let's what, like, thank God you already had this, you already hip to diatomaceous earth. So I could just take this, this stuff and spray it on top. And then I have a shop back down there and I'll just vacuum it up and it'll be fine. So... And uh, and along, I I think I answered all your questions, Charles. I went on these tangents and everything else like that. <laughs> but it's been a it's been a wild ride the past few months. And like, because uh, we did a, we've done a comedy show too. That was super rewarding. Uh, you know, and I went out and I actually went out to L.A. and hung out with some comics. And um, I actually had to turn down some invitations because I was going to Permaculture Voices, and I was like. I'll hit you guys up next time. Like I'm here for this. So it's, 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 it's rewarding to see that I'm always with these good conflicts in my life now. Like, cause you're never going to get all, you're never going to be away from problems in your life, but it's like, what are the problems? Are they good problems or bad problems? So if that makes sense. 
Yeah. So where um, where in L.A. did you stay? Because uh, and I'm not super familiar with L.A., but I like um, it's a fun place to visit. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you in? Um, I was hanging out in Sherman Oaks. So okay. my one buddy lives in Sherman Oaks. Uh, basically, what happened was is uh, the conference didn't start till Wednesday. My plan was I'll fly out to San Diego, rent a car, and maybe drive up there. And then hang out a day and hit up with some comic friends. And I was going to go to some shows at night and hit the comedy store. And then I flew in and my flights had changed because I would bought them in advance. And it was like a four-hour layover in L.A. to go to San Diego. That's like an hour flight and a two-and-a-half-hour drive to four-hour drive depending on traffic. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to rent a car here and I'll just go pick up my luggage from San Diego's airport. So I actually just hung out there in the morning. I went to... um Dean, who I Dean Del Rey, who I just did a show with, um, he had uh, he had invited me out, and we went and got breakfast and hung out quite a bit. And uh, then he was going on Jay Moore's sports show, so I just it was kind of weird. Like it was like a oh wow, I'm hanging out with Jay Moore, who like I grew up watching on Saturday Night Live and in movies. So it was like a weird. It was a weird. It was a weird cool day. So I mainly just did that, and then I. With my two hours of sleep, drove three and a half hours down from L.A. to San Diego, and I jacked up all these. Uh, I got a nice ticket from Calif- from Hertz saying that I owed the state of California $30 for my tolls that I was driving down that I had no idea I was driving on because there was no toll booths there. All so, right. Yeah, and here's something else crazy about California that I don't know how you guys handle is the uh, the fact that motorcyclists can split lanes and how crazy people drive out there and it's amazing how motorcyclists don't die more in california from my experience there but it was a it was that was an interesting experience man driving down um from california to san diego was really cool though yeah yeah it's um it's always an experience in the la area that um you know everybody's life revolves around um dodging like the whatever uh, freeway is totally jammed, you know, is, and, and when they get jammed, it's like a parking lot. I mean, you know, eight lanes wide parking yeah. lot. And it's all like, hello, what if anybody actually had an appointment or yeah. is having a heart attack or something? It's like, forget it. You're dead. Oh, it's <laughs> so crazy. Like, it's weird yeah. because uh, you go to like New York City and, and L.A. and New York City are the, the largest cities in the United States. I think both of them, too. You could take the whole state of Ohio and the whole state of Michigan, and it's still less people than in those two cities in the, the metropolitan area, which is, just, which is just bonkers. Like Columbus is the 15th largest city in the United States, and the number one in two cities are that big, that much bigger that you could take their whole states um, or the whole state, and it's still not even put a dent in the population. So um, it, it, it's, it, was definitely, it was definitely interesting. It was interesting um, – I don't, for a lot of reasons, just like that, like it, that was a that was an interesting experience. But I, man, driving through the mountains was awesome. Like driving through the mountains of and like stopping to to the beaches, just to experience it. It's totally different lifestyle. Like it's 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 interesting to think about. Like I'm into like I'm considered like a hipster and like granola crunchy or whatever because I think <laughs> it's cool to go out and go in the woods and hunt for mushrooms and that's like a normal thing like hey let's go let's go on this flower trail and just go hiking and like when you do that here it's just abnormal but if you do it out there it's 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 just like an everyday thing but um it it was cool like i i, I like living here because the cost of living 
it really made me appreciate my situation going out there and and like going back to our conversations where we would say like move to a place like Pittsburgh or Columbus where you could get a good paying job and have a really low cost of living if you're a young person it was like man like I really need to appreciate things and it was it was crazy too um cuz there was another house down the street from me it was starting like $500 for auction and I was going to buy this house and I was willing to put down like eight grand because you have to pay cash for these things. And um, I took Dean by and he blew his mind that you could find get a house for $8,000 or even what it was because I think it only sold for eighteen, but I just didn't have the cash. And um, the house is kind of a dump and my buddy said it probably wasn't worth it. But to somebody in California, like, man, like you can get a house for $18,000. Like that's insane or that's insane. Like it, it, it was, it's just, it's, it's weird to think about how we all go on the same currency and we live in completely different worlds, but in the same country, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, it's, uh, one of the reasons why it's, it's so, um, appealing to be an American or to live in America is because you have access to all this stuff and, even though there's um, lots of people that don't speak English very well, you know, everybody, you know, gets enough English to get by. So you can always, you know, do whatever you need to do. And, and, and your dollars are always the same, (laughs) even though, as you (laughs) say, they, they don't go very far here. Well, you know, Drew, let me um, respond to to a couple of things you said here. Um, One is that what I think um, that is your strength uh, in in the networking is also you bring enthusiasm to what you're um, what you want to learn about and accomplish, and then your character um, and the outreach you have with the podcast is your enthusiasm is then infectious, and so people we all respond positively to um, sort of an infectious enthusiasm for stuff, and so. Uh, I think that's also a strength that you have um, that I feel, you know, and I'm sure people who listen to the podcast feel it too, you know, is it, uh, and, and so that's, um, that's part of what makes you um, one of the people that sort of is a node in the network, you know, like, in other words, we're, we're all part of various networks, but um, some people have uh, become sort of attractors uh, and they have more connections to um, to other people in the network, and so then those people um, are the influencers. You know, if you go back to um, the idea that uh, some people have influence, not because they are wealthy or or they have political power, but just that they know more people in the network and they know more um, movers and shakers in the network. And so I think that's what you're you're establishing, and that's. Uh, that's fun for me and everybody, all your other friends to, to see because um, you're influencing other people as you gather uh, network connections. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's interesting, but I, I definitely under I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like, I don't. Um, it's it's weird to uh, something else that you said to me a long time ago when we first started that really meant a lot to me was that I was authentic. And, and then it's like the authenticity of, of, I try to keep it authentic in my podcast. Like I want it to be a true flowing conversation. Like this is how you and I talk when we're not recording. Like, well, you know what I mean? Like there's no, it's really not a show. It's really just Drew and Charles hanging out and having a conversation. That's what I always wanted it to be. And, but anyways, but I really appreciate those kind words and it's, uh, 
kind of makes me uncomfortable. No, I'm just teasing. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I really appreciate that. It is interesting to see. It's interesting to see that, you know, I I want people to have fun and I want people to feel comfortable. And I go out of my way to do that. And I think that helps too. Like I think um, so. Um, but um, anyways, uh, man, Charles, now I don't know what to say. I feel so good about that compliment you gave me there, man. I'm like, <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it, Charles. It means a lot. <laughs> well, it's um, what I see is that I am somebody um, with a, a, a node in the network, right? And so – there's this um, thing, a uh, concept called the network effect, where if there's only a few people in a network, um, then it's it's hard to get ideas moving and it's hard to get goods and services moving around. And so uh, the example, of course, the classic example is the internet in like um, 1989 or something. I mean, you could get on with a, you know, 80 baud uh modem if you knew how that worked and all this other kind of stuff but it was a free juno account (laughs) yeah and and basically it was message boards and all that stuff and so the network effect um didn't kick in until um andreessen and and his guys um developed the browser and then um and then once once there was a, a browser then suddenly you know, like twenty percent of the population got on the on the internet, and then that quickly led to eighty percent getting on the internet. So it's a that's our role, um, you know, your role, uh, and then my role in, in terms of the of my blog is is kind of like um, a similar in the sense that I become a node for a whole bunch of other people who are, you know, by and large, really smart. And, and so I get a lot of feedback from them in terms of ideas or, or critiques of um, suggestions. And so, um, and then that stuff is um, what really, I share. I just yeah. want to say, it really blows me away how smart your audience is. Like whether it be Marvin, who, uh, Marvin just quit his job too. Yeah, like, which is very cool. Like, yeah. yeah, like I'm going to get him on. He's like, let me settle and then uh, I'll come down. So maybe I can have you come on with me and we can enter, we can talk to him together. Um, that would be great. Yeah. And, uh, and then like there's just so many people that read your blog that are like, I'll, I'll like talk to him. Like I know Fred speaks like six languages and it's like they're so, they have, they all have this really interesting perspective. That I don't agree with everything most people like, just like anything. Like you're never going to agree 100 percent with everything anybody says. But no, we sh- we shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it'd be boring. But like, and it's it's cool because I'm like watching the podcast grow, and then like people are talking to me about my episodes that I kind of like l- put a, on a pedestal in a way. And like, not in the sense of like, just with respect, like, not that I think they're better than me or anything, but it's like, oh man, like, it's like the people that are listening have their own influence. And it's like, man, this is really powerful. Like, this is really cool. This is really rewarding. Um, and I, right. and, and I think you probably felt the same way because like when you started your blog, I mean, you started what, in 2008 and then turned into this writing machine and have 15 books or 18 books now and <laughs> yeah it's um and we well we respond to our audience so of course um you know if 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 only three people read my blog or whatever i i don't know that i would have the same level of enthusiasm so that's that's where we're talking about the network effect you know the more people that 
know about your work or that, that get something out of it. And then you learn from them. And then that, that connects you with some other networks. And so let's, um, let me talk, uh, bring in a topic that we touched on last program, um, which is automation and, and the ability of robotics and, uh, software to replace human labor. And let's tie that into permaculture because, um, of course, the, one of the primary characteristics of permaculture is that it is, um, it, you're dealing with dynamic systems. And so, yeah. Uh, things are constantly changing. Like when you were talking about your ants, like, uh, and I was thinking, well, that's in my own little tiny, you know, urban garden. You know, it's constant. There's a constant dynamic where um, it's a new batch, a new kind of weed, you know, pops up that I've got to, you know, pull out or control. And then some other stuff, um, I get some volunteers or some things that have done really well in the past um, for whatever reason. It could be soil moisture. It could be, um, you know, the weather conditions of, around El Nino or whatever. They don't do so well, and then something else is taking off, you know. So y- y- it's hard to program a computer and a robot to do permaculture. You know, I mean, you, yeah. could, you, could, you could program a robot to go down um, the, uh, the uh, rows in a big orchard, you know, like punching holes in the ground or something so that uh, to aerate it or, you know, you could do certain kinds of mechanical tasks. But permaculture is really not about robotics. It's really about you um, put your animals into that, you know, orchard. Yeah, you use, uh, you know. Yeah, you <laughs> right? use, yeah, it's, it's just about living systems. It's about systems yeah. feeding systems. Um, right. And so I think my point that I want to throw out here for um, discussion is, it turns out, at least this is my conception, um, the more I look at work and the more I look at automation and the, mo- the more I look at, um, you know, what's productive and what, what we do that creates output that's valuable to other people, then uh, it's, it turns out that only a certain kind of work can be automated. And um, it tends to be, you know, repetitive production. And so um, those kinds of jobs... Um, you're basically, if you're going to be in a repetitive production, either an assembly line or something that's slightly customized, you're going to be working with robotics and software systems. And, and so, you know, your job depends not on your manual skills so much, although that can be part of it. If you're like a welder, you might have to weld some stuff the robot can't do. But um, you're really, your expertise is going to be getting the robot and the software systems to um, change up and and adjust to uh, some new reality or some new order, and so that skill set still needs a human, you know, um, in a dynamic situation. But then there's a whole other branch of of, of human work that is not really accessible to automation, and and permaculture is a very good example. I mean, the whole process of permaculture, you know, you cert- there, I'm sure there's like software that that can help guide somebody through the process. I mean, there's certain things that technology can add to, but it's not going to, it's not going to be permaculture with a bunch of robots roaming around. I mean, it's just, no, you know, no. and it doesn't work. And it's kind of like, um, there's other areas of human life that are like that. And, um, and you mentioned authenticity and, um, there's, there's, that's kind of what we pay for when we, uh, go to a microbrewery or we go to a local, 
cafe that serves local food, um, locally grown or sourced food. You know, we're, 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 we're saying we value the authenticity um, and network that this place brings uh, to the table, so to speak. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about the larger economy, it's, it's definitely uh, being impacted by technology, as as we all know, and and not just in technology per se, but in everything, right? Because like the way that we build weaponry, and um, you know that technology is changing. That the way we police, um, the way that the government functions, virtually everything is being impacted in some fashion. And some some industries and sectors are laggards. You know, they're they're resisting. Um, the automation of, of what can be automated and, and they're the dead weight, you know, they're the ones that, that we need to get rid of or, or get in line. And that includes education, healthcare, uh, a lot of stuff that is resisting automation. And, and that's why that stuff is inefficient, costly, and doesn't work well. But some things are, are sort of immune to automation. And, and I think permaculture is, uh, one, uh, one example. So what do you, what do you, um, what do you think of that kind of idea? I think uh, I think so. It's sometimes when you were talking about that, at first I thought you were going to say automation really kind of only replaces jobs that have a purpose that don't have a purpose, like don't give you a fulfilling purpose. And uh, and it, and it and I maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like I get a lot more purpose out of going out in my garden or going out in my yard and doing work, cutting down trees grinding a stump uh you know hoeing hoeing things up just being a part of of shaping something creatively in a sense versus me sitting in a cube and answering phone calls which eventually would be able to be replaced by an artificial intelligence um and and i think you know purpose purpose to me can't be replaced by automation and i feel like Permaculture is so attractive to so many people because it it helps them remember and kind of find re, refine their purpose. And and you know when you look at technology, technology is always going to be able to be used. I think in the craft industry, like what what we what we've talked about with onshoring on previous podcasts, or even the um, I sent you a link uh, a while back with the Indiegogo, which is like this this really cool brewing machine that's coming out that you could use in your home or commercially, like on a large scale. And, um, you know, it always, it always takes kind of like a, a, those things always need systems that are going to be run by a man or by a human. And maybe sometimes they'll eventually be able to be replaced by, by a robot or whatever. Who knows? I mean, depending on how intelligent things are, but I, I agree. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you look at technology, like my friend uh, Grant Schultz in JM Fortier, like they both said that, um, you know, the newer thing now is, is getting a drone and getting like the, the scan of the way your land is laid out, like the elevation, like you can scan it with, with drones now. There's a lot of information you can gather. So I always, I always think, you know, we're always going to want to take advantage of technology, um, I, I think technology is always going to help you, and it's always going to it's always going to help you create feats that might take many people. And I think that's that's kind of the the, the source of automation, right? Like it's always going to, but it, you know, you're never going to be able to create a full. I don't know. Maybe you could. I mean, eventually, if there's an intelligent enough robot that understands things, like you could do a food forest or something like that, but. 
No, I don't see that for a while. I don't like that. Have to be in a, a you know a sentient being to really appreciate it in a sense, and not to get to Isaac Asimov. But you know, I I think I think you're right. Absolutely. I hope I hope I answered your question there, Charles, and not didn't go in too many too many too many parallels there, or too many uh, down too many whole rabbit holes there. No, no. Um, and uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because of, of permaculture being such a um, useful example of of the things that you can't really automate, which, like you said, purpose, which I think is is absolutely key to being human. And then we've talked about authenticity. Like, um, it's like having a robot um, deliver your food at, at a restaurant. Well, that would be kind of you know, a novelty or something. Um, but it, it's not going to f- replace no. um, the, the, the experience of dining out with friends and this kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of like, you know, Japan. The robot the, hotels, right? Yeah. And, and also their, you know, their demographics are such their uh, population is shrinking. They have a very large population of older people. So they're anticipating um, – having a bunch of personal robots to take care of old people. Like, you know, the robot will roll in and then remind you to take your pills or something. And, and that's a perfect example, I think of, of, um, how I've been thinking more and more that, that the value, as you say, is limited uh, of that. Like, yeah, that in terms of delivering the pill to the, the elderly person who's maybe lost their mobility or something, the robot might be very cost efficient, but for the, if you imagine being the old person and then, and then there's some stupid machine that comes in with like a smiley face on it, um, you know, it's like you're, you're going to be happy that you got your pill, but you're not going to be as happy as if a human being came in and talked to you. No, that's very true. But at the same time, it's still exciting to have a pet robot. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever seen Robot and Frank? It's with uh, um, Franklin Jella and Susan Sarandon and Franklin Jella – uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the mood. It's really good. He basically, he's becoming older and he's forgetting things. So his family gets in this robot to clean things and assist things. And his daughter comes and wants to turn the robot off because she wants to help him. And she wants to be able to clean things. And it's like a really interesting movie to the dynamics about how technology could kind of disrupt family in a sense. And then like the... Eventually, the robot becomes more family to Frank Langella than his own family, and it's a really good movie. Or uh, I think his name is it Frank Langella, or what's his name? Uh, I don't know, but it's a great movie. I would check it out. It's on Netflix. Robot and Frank, um, and it's it's similar. Um, I think you know it's it's a tricky thing for me. Like I think uh, it it does remove things, but at the same time, it's to me, if I could have a robot assistant, I think that would be cool. Because I think that's that's kind of what a smartphone is, especially the way people use Evernote. And Evernote, it's just going to become a tool. It's just going to be an extension of your consciousness. And maybe that that robot is going to help you do things, but you're still going to want that human interaction. It's not going to it's not going to fill the void of somebody caring about you who really is trying to help you and care about you. So I agree with you at the same token. Like I think it would be cool to have a robot come and tell me when I need to do things and help me help me do things and, and get or, get my thoughts organized. But at the same time, like I still want that human interaction. Like, I mean, just even I, like pets are so powerful. Like I have my cats, like I, uh, I was in California for a week 
and I went to this house party and they had a cat and it's sitting on a chair and then I started petting it and I was like, man, I miss my cats. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. Like until I saw a cat, it was like, man, I really miss my cats. Like I miss, I miss my little, my little fur buddies. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm negative against, uh, technology or, or robots helping, um, no. helping with like, uh, kids or, or elderly people or whatever. There, there's certainly a role there. Um, but there's a, there's a huge amount of work that goes into programming that robot and then, you know, and then it breaks down and then somebody has to come repair yeah. it. And, you know, and so something really fairly simple like a Roomba. And, um, it was funny, like somebody, um, I, I found a thread on Facebook where people were talking about Roomba and it's, um, and just kind of joking and saying, um, you know, my Roomba has taken over my house and, you know, I have to kill it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, uh, there's always that, that science fiction element about, um, how much do the machines control? And, and it's not so much that the machines will control, but we become dependent on them. And then, and then, um, that's, um, a path that, uh, is dangerous. You know, it, it's, um, like I just was writing about the entitlement systems and, yeah. and I, I'm just going to switch. Um, I'm going to connect that thread of, of dependency and that um, in the Roman, the late Roman empire, you know, they had this uh, free bread thing, uh, their program, which was started a couple hundred years earlier for like the extreme poor people who didn't have enough bread to eat. And so there was like 40,000 people back then. And then by the, the time the empire was close to collapse, there was like 330, 40,000 people in Rome, all depending on free bread. Like they weren't really doing anything useful or functional, you know, in the city. You know, they were just living off the free bread and they got free oil and some other stuff. And then going to the, the Colosseum for the free entertainment, you know. Um, and so that, you, when, when we lose the ability to be productive because we've become dependent on something, either the government or or robots or whatever, then I think we've, we've lost, um, the we've ability lost to have humanity. purpose. We've yeah, lost we've our lost humanity. It. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, we need I, purpose. Yeah. We do. Yeah. And that, that's something, um, you know, I, it's interesting. Like it was funny. Like I, I saw this meme today because as soon as you start talking about, uh, dependencies, I immediately thought of government and then you went there. Uh, I saw this funny meme today. It was, uh, like a hunter hunt uh, hunter games um meme it's you know jennifer lawrence saying let's take over the capital and then it shows one crowd but then it's like yeah let's get our freedom but what about our health care <laughs> what about our roads and it's uh it's it's the whole thing like to be resilient to be truly free you can't de- be dependent and i think you know it, it, that system's never going to happen in our lifetimes but you know, what we can do is learn skills. We can, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is learn how to learn how to brew your own alcohol. Like, I mean, I, I think, you know, Jack, Jack Spierko really kind of inspired me um, from the survival podcast. Like he was doing this thing about so easy, just do this. And I remember I emailed you forever ago about like, Hey, the next time we record, I'm drinking my own booze and three podcasts later, I'm drinking my own booze. But yeah, yeah, let's talk about your cider production. Man, it's uh 
I tell you what, it's it's been cool. Like cidery, I think part of the dream I think now is a restaurant cidery comedy club that buys my food from my urban farm. And I it's it's been interesting. So the one I'm drinking now is more of an apple champagne. So pretty much I I I just got started. Like I did this thing like, you know what, ready aim fire or ready fire aim. And I didn't take a picture of what the yeast I did. And I, I put it in the 100% pasteurized cider, and I put champagne yeast in the apple juice. And I was like, man, champagne yeast is going to be 20%. That's going to be good. And, man, that champagne yeast in that apple juice, it's very dry and very strong. And it's like an, ample, an apple champagne is like what I like to call it. And the other one was so delicious. It was like the perfect blend of sweetness, of juice and alcohol with some fizziness to it. And I have no idea what yeast I used. <laughs> the one that was best, I like. But luckily, I went to this craft, uh, like craft store that's for craft brewers, and I just bought all the yeast they had. And luckily, I I have an idea of which one I used, and I I tried using it again. So I think I might have it going on in the fridge right now. But you know, it's it's been an experience. Um. Actually, what's what's pretty cool, um, you know, the cider, it's really easy to do if anybody wants to start. You just go get some yeast, 100% juice or uh, cider, put some wine yeast in it. Wine yeast typically works best. And the first time I did it, I just used balloons because I didn't have airlocks. But you can get some airlocks off Amazon for dirt cheap. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not expensive to do. And you just let it sit there for a few weeks, and then you put it in your fridge, and then you siphon the 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 juice or cider out into another container. You clean out the yeast of those containers, or you just throw them away. And um, and it's been a process. I haven't quite figured out how to get my cider as clear as it needs to be, but I, I'm a part of some some groups that I've added you to, and um, you know, I I really just need to ask some questions, like take some pictures, and be like, hey, why can't I get this clear? Um, I, but I really like, I was really focused on that. And then it was like gardening time. And I was like, Ooh, I got to season's coming. I got to make some money this season, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you certainly have the, the network to pull off something, um, like a, a comedy club, cidery, you know, locally sourced, you know, cafe. Um, and, the thing that I immediately think of is because you are in a lower cost part of the of the country, that 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 it wouldn't take like a hundred grand like it would here in Northern California. It would take at least a hundred grand to you'd have to dump that much money in, and it'd probably take six months to get your permit and yeah and and all that. And so, and a lot of people that that they they just wanted to start a, a neighborhood restaurant, and they're into it. By the time they finally get it, it's like almost two hundred grand, and then they have to charge twenty nine dollars for a plate of food because uh, anything less than that then doesn't work. Yeah. And so and then so and and like locally, you know, there's people. Uh, there's a lot of small wineries, and you know, rich people like to start wineries or buy them, and um, it's kind of a um, you know a, a status thing. But there's a lot of people who are really authentically in love with the process of making wine and from what i've read they they have to charge 30 bucks a bottle because they're they're out there doing a lot of hand hand work you know on old vines and stuff like that and so i think uh my point here is 
it's like a a balance of cost, you know. And I think that when things get so expensive to like start stuff, then you really have lost a lot of um, dynamism in the economy. And I think yeah. California has reached that point where, you know, it's it's everything is so ridiculously expensive that. Um, People that's might a have a good idea, but man. just not enough capital. But anyway, so that that's well, I, I think, think that would be very cool. I think so too. But what do you think to kind of talk about California after being there, going to every bar? Like at first, I thought it was just the hotel bar, or it was seven dollars a bottle of beer. And then I went to the brewery, and it was like, oh no, it's seven dollars for each of our beers. What do you think? Um, California needs to do. I know that the North wants to separate from the South and there's always this like internal California struggle of NorCal versus SoCal. Like, <laughs> do you think that California should split its state up and into two states? Like, do you think, I mean, I know you're all about generating ideas. I mean, what idea do you think? I mean, California, I think potentially might be better off to create its own currency. I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, it's a weird thing, but it just kind of hit my head. I was like, well, Charles is a pretty smart guy. He lives in California. He's he's pretty fluent in economics. Yeah, it's an interesting question. There was a a tech guy um, who got who was trying to get something on the ballot to break the state up into like seven different regions, seven states instead of like two, and and um, it actually made a lot of sense because, um, you know, L.A. is, is one. Is, yeah, there's so many people there, man. Yeah, and then, then the Central Valley, you know, the farm area, which is quite different, and there's the coastal area that, uh, between, the you know, San Francisco and L.A. And then Northern California, uh, beyond, you know, north of San Francisco is, like, completely different. It's like um, you could that's, – that's that should be a separate state. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't – you know, the thing about California that – that boggles everyone's mind and those people that um, those of us who manage to, to live here and then people who visit or, or move here, the cost structure is so insane. Like, you know, they want like $3,200 for a studio if you want to rent it in the inner Bay area, either here in the East Bay or in San Francisco. I mean, 3,200 bucks for like a tiny studio apartment. And so, okay, so, you know, if, if you're a couple or maybe you can stand living with one other person, so it's only, you know, 13, I mean, uh, 1700 or something each. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to live here unless, unless you make a ton of money or, or you, you have a trust fund or something like that. So the, 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 why is it so expensive? Well, the demand is so in, insane. That's the thing. Everybody wants to move to LA to get a, a to There's, be a movie star, yeah, or or, or to um, to to do their um, to do music, to become a musician, yeah. Everyone, to sell their script, or or become a techie in in um, like in the, the coastal areas, the you know, Bay, like Santa yeah. Monica. Yeah. You know, things people have moved from the Bay Area because it's so bloody expensive. They've moved us to uh, Santa Monica. Which is also incredibly expensive. I mean, so, but you know, they thought it was quote cheaper. So um, it's so I, it's crazy, like, man. It's, I think people our, people go. Do you ever think about? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, even though I'm totally yeah. doing it. Like no, no. The draw to California has been there since the gold rush and probably before. Like, there's something. Let's get mystical. There's something about California where that's where you go to make it, and it's and it's been there before there was film. Before there was tech, 
And it's it's like a beautiful area to be, so everybody wants to be there. Yeah, and somehow we as a nation need to like siphon off like a hundred thousand, you know, people <laughs> from each of the areas and and then um and repopulate uh you know, cities like Columbus or uh, Youngstown. That's right. Youngstown. That's, that's my that's my end game, man. Is Youngstown because industry's dead. You could get a two acre house in Warren, Ohio, which is right outside Youngstown, for fifteen thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's like it's so crazy. And like, actually, Fred, Fred's Fred's family, his dad, he owns a house in Youngstown. It's his dad's house, and wow. it's and it's like. Uh, you know, I mean, wherever the industry's gone, Toledo's getting there once they let go of Jeep. Um, Detroit, people are all, the Chinese are buying a ton of stuff in Detroit. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think, I agree. I think people need to leave. I didn't mean to cut you off like that, but it's like. No, no. You know, people, like California is so big. Like, uh, it's it's so crazy because it's not just LA, Los Angeles County, which I mean, again, we said this forever ago. Los Angeles County's economy is four times larger than Greece's. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so crazy. I mean, it's crazy how many people live there. And I don't know, like New York City is nothing. There's nothing beautiful about New York City. And there's millions of people there. So why not move into the Midwest? I think the Midwest is the place to go hide. It's cheap. If you know what to do, you can create your own opportunity. And I think that the Midwest is the key to the middle class. And I mean, you've been writing a lot about the middle class in your blog, and I, I feel like the middle class lives in the Midwest. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I I, I would because um, part of what I think why the middle class is under so much pressure or why it's shrinking in the in the U.S. is the ridiculous uh, I- increase in expenses. You know, like uh, college. I mean, when the, when the local state college costs you know ten thousand plus bucks for for tuition and then a couple thousand more for you know like books and fees and and stuff so even if you live at home it's a thousand a month to go to the state school that's ridiculous it should be like 1500 you know well and so you know uh, and grant, then schultz uh the same the mad scientist of permaculture grant schultz <laughs> he's in iowa city in the podcast I just did with him, he was like, yeah, I got into real estate. I, I made a sale. I made $1,500, paid my tuition with that one sale. And it's like college has gotten so much more expensive. He's three years older than me. I think when I first went to college, uh, it was two grand for my tuition. And then the other half was room and board. So I became an RA. And I was like, hey, I just paid half my tuition by becoming an RA. And now... That would pay. I mean, I'm. I don't even know. I don't even know how expensive college is now. Because yeah. I, I don't even want to go. And every time yeah. I read your, every time I'm reading, like I think it was the one, the post you posted yesterday or today. It was like it was showing the the earnings of higher educated people versus like everyone else. I'm like, man, I really want those lower educated people to make just as much money so people stop going to college. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and it turns out that everybody's you know making less once you adjust for inflation. Yeah, yeah. This, um, you know, we um, one of our uh, one of our friends, our neighbors here, um, a young guy um, in his uh, maybe late twenties, um, and he uh, he felt bad, he felt ill, so he went to the emergency room, and it turned out he had a um, uh, appendicitis, you know, and so the the whole thing worked out, and uh, we picked him up. 
because uh, they don't own a car. And so, um, and he was telling me that some other buddy of his, um, who was a European who was here uh, going to school, and um, that guy had some sort of, uh, you know, emergency illness, and then he went to the emergency room, and um, the bill was like 22000 bucks, and there was no operation or anything. And so... And and so for Europeans or people from South America or from Asia, you know, the idea that basically a whole year's pay is is what it costs to go to the emergency room for a couple hours in America. I mean, that's insane. And so, you know, our cost structure is completely out of control and, you know, we're not going to be able to support it. But to go back to this, the question of middle class, yeah, you should be able to make like 40 grand in America and live well. And, yeah. and and be able to go to college and have healthcare, and so unfortunately those those systems are completely broken. So, um, but but that it's I want to go back to the network effect because what what we really are talking about is why do what do you get when you come to California other than insanely overpriced rents, um, ridiculously overpriced um, food, um, jammed freeways. Um, Blah blah blah. Why? What's the point? You know, why come here? Why, you know, why to go to all this trouble and basically have no hope of ever buying a, a home or having a family? You know, unless you hit the jackpot and are making like a quarter million a year. Um, why come here? It's the network effect because people know that 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 just like when you showed up in town. I mean, if you'd stayed in L.A. a week, you probably would have met like a, this this incredible circle of people. It would have been crazy. It, and 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 that would you probably could have put that together in like a week just by talking to people and and then they, they take you someplace and then oh yeah hey, meet meet my friend Drew, and so that's it's the network effect. In other words, you can meet so many people who are movers and shakers or that have some great idea that can help you do what you want to do, and so um, when you take a town that has a, like one or two techies or a, maybe one startup or a couple guys that have a good idea, but there's no funding, you know, there's no VCs, no venture capitalists ready to throw a couple million bucks at them or even 200,000. And so that's where, you know, it's very difficult. And, and I'm sure that people in Ohio and Michigan are, are wanting to do this, but you know, you can't attract people without when there's no network effect, you know, it's, it's the pioneers, you know, people like you, you're going to have to attract like a hundred other movers and shakers and then the network effect will kick in because then then there'll be a thousand people yeah. that come yeah i mean it's going on in columbus i mean yeah. just like we we i mean i think columbus uh just got some award for being the best place to start a small small business really and yeah um yeah the mayor came because actually i got a meeting tomorrow uh it's at this place called the food fort it's by this it's actually by this uh pretty credible nonprofit. we're both pretty critical of nonprofits. But uh, basically, I needed walk-in cooler space, and then I was selling eggs to this girl, um, my friend who I knew from actually when I worked at Best Buy for a little bit. She was she was my, one of my reps for one of the products, and uh, yeah, and she she was starting a bakery, and she hit me up because she saw I was urban farming and was like, "Hey, do you have any connections to eggs?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Awesome, I'm a baker. I want fresh local eggs." And I was like, "Great." And then she's at this thing called a food fort and all these food trucks parked there. And I'm like, man, this is a great opportunity for business. So, and also I need walk-in cooler space. I don't want to spend $10,000 for a walk-in cooler 
to put at this property that I rent. So why not lease that space out? So, um, so yeah. So, uh, long story short, we, her and I were having a conversation and the, the mayor went to the food fort to accept this award because it's like really Columbus is getting it. They're getting it like food and beer. And local food and beer is going to be, like we said the last podcast, the backbone of the Midwest. Everything's going to be based on local booze and local food because that's the number one source of entertainment in the Midwest. Right. And then um, then if, we, if you can start getting some people, like say um, people who program drones – yeah. With uh, with maybe sensors because I I've been reading a, something uh, that like you said, if you can mount like an infrared uh, sensor on a drone, then um, the, the the relative moisture of your soil or or your your crops your 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 uh, what you're growing, you know, it shows up as as uh, different colors, and that'll help you realize wow you know I've got um, I've got a situation here or. Um, underground, you know, some spots are wetter because there's underground water. And, you know, so anyways, if, if as a, as an example of technology that's related directly to local agriculture, I mean, that, if that kind of technology could, as an example, get a toehold in Columbus and there, there's a network of a couple dozen people working on that kind of thing, then it, then it quickly, that network effect quickly starts attracting other people who are interested. So that, that is exciting, you know, and that, that's really the future. Uh, I think, and and that for people here, there's going to be a, a there's going to be a uh, a uh, you know you neutron bomb here. I mean, uh, where you think there's going to be an exodus of California to other parts of the country. Well, there's about fifty to a hundred thousand people are going to lose their jobs here in the Bay Area within within the next year. I would say, yeah, and it doesn't. Nobody believes it's possible. But that's what it, that's absolutely guaranteed. And there's probably a hundred thousand people in LA that will lose their jobs for, for similar situations. You know, the VC money runs out. They didn't get bought out. Um, and, uh, they don't have any revenue. You know, it was, it was, um, so, you know, there's, then you just, you, you dry up and blow away because you can't afford 3,500 bucks a month rent for very long on, but the, uh, on unemployment. But also at the same time, you know, like, uh, Talking to to Neil, um, the guy that's greening the desert, he made this ex point uh, this ex this excellent point. He's been an expat for a while, and he said, you know, the United States, really in the state that it's in, should make it be a benefit for you to become an expat versus where you still have to pay taxes. Like because Americans are really good at connecting dots. Like that's what Americans are better at than any other culture. And maybe it has a lot to do with individualism. I'm not sure what, but we're all really good at connecting dots. Like we're good at like, okay, do this and this, this leads to this, this leads to that. And I feel like a lot of other cultures struggle with it. And I think, you know, when you look at people leaving California, I mean, like they have to, if you survive out there in that high cost of living, you have to be pretty good at connecting some 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 freaking dots man you know what i mean like, <laughs> like there's like it, it would be hard for me to live there the way i live here like I, there it, it was seriously charles like i was like how am i spending so much money and then like i was in san diego and i'm like oh great prime now is here because i'm saving a shit ton of money because i don't have to pay uber <laughs> and they're delivering i don't have to find where to buy things at certain stores they have all the shit in the warehouse, and they're just going to deliver it to me in two hours, which was an amazing experience. So 
Um, do you guys have Prime? Now? You guys have Prime now there, right? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. we don't have that. Indianapolis has it, but we don't have it here yet in Columbus. We're building. We're building our warehouses now because I pay taxes now on Amazon, and it like I seriously sounded like this salesman for Amazon Prime now. <laughs> so I was like, because there's so many people at this conference that don't that just have prime and i'm like yo there's prime now here they're like what do you mean i'm like i mean you can go on amazon and order beer and it will be here in two hours <laughs> and you don't have to go to a store or anything you can stay right here in the hotel and uh and i think you know but that's a service that like people need like there there's always automation with automation i feel like or something like that there's always a way to create a service to help somebody else or to like to like the service industry is always there because people are always going to want convenience. It's just always going to change. So anyways, yeah. we're almost at an hour. We've been talking yeah. quite a bit here and we try to keep this underneath an hour, Charles. So ladies and gentlemen, I did an awful job of introducing Charles Hugh Smith today on the podcast because we just started recording. And I was so excited to talk to my good friend that I didn't even say this man, Charles Hugh Smith is the owner and operator of of2minds.com. Go to his website and subscribe. I subscribe through Outlook. If you have Outlook on your work computer at work, you definitely want to go there. You can read it. Pretend like you're working, you're reading an email, and you can read Charles's blogs. I highly recommend it. It's probably You'll learn a lot more than whatever emails you get for work. Secondly, <laughs> <laughs> this man is an accomplished author. Like we said earlier, he has written so many books in the past few years. Um, it's impressive, and there and and I've I've read many of Charles's uh, Charles's uh, books. Well, I've read I've read two of them so far, um, and I want to read more. But there, there, he's had so many good books. The most recent ep- the most recent book is called. Um, a radically beneficial world, oh, automation, right. technology, and creating jobs for all. There's always that's the one thing, Charles. You always have a mouthful of a title. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to try to cut the title verbiage down. But the, you know, the trick is if you're if you're writing about something that is not uh, that is unconventional, then um, it you have to kind of go on and on really in order do. to describe what the what the thing is but there is a fashion now for really long titles and i i i, I don't like it so i'm my next book i'm going to try to keep it really short something like you know work and money <laughs> yeah and the real the last one the one before that was the first time i when i first started reading charles's blog you can you can also find him on zero hedge uh it was called get a job build a real career defy build a real career defy a bewildering economy and the audio book just came out I use one of my Audible credits. You can get it on Audible. If you have Audible, get it on Audible. Check it out. Listen to it if you don't like to read. Um, a lot of people are audio learners. Um, also, this podcast is brought to you by NewFarmSupply.com. Go there. Create your own food for us. We talked a lot about permaculture. Get some cheap trees, grafting tools, everything you need to start your own permaculture food forest at NewFarmSupply.com. Use code word SAMPLE. You'll save 20%. And... It's also brought to you brought to you by ProfitableUrbanFarming.com. Just started a new podcast called the Profitable Urban Farming Accountability Podcast with me and my friend Scott. Uh, if you go to the link in the show notes, 
Um, if you buy it in full, you can save ten. You can save a hundred dollars with code word sample. Um, but otherwise, learn how Curtis Stone makes hundred grand a year off a third of an acre. It's pretty impressive. So his high rotation system, everything he does, he has helmet cam work and everything like that. Charles, anything else you would like to plug, sir? No, no, that sounds great, Drew. And um, it was a pleasure um, discussing everything from um, permaculture to automation to the high cost of surviving um, <laughs> and drinking beer in California. So thank you very much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, it. Thank you guys okay. for listening. Okay. Great. Hey, thanks for...